This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180 TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Episode 131, Scott Strode, Adventure Sports with a Purpose. Hello and welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is your host, Kurt Linville. Today we have a truly special show. Our guest is Scott Strode, and he is from Phoenix Multisport. I want to tell you a little bit about this. In the Adventure Sports Podcast, we always say get out there and have some fun. We say get active, get healthy, connect with nature. Your life will benefit in many ways. Well, Scott Strode is the founder of Phoenix Multisport, and he took this concept to the nth degree, to help people who are recovering from addictions. He has an amazing program. Scott's background is in uh, mountaineering. He's a triathlete, an ice climber, an outdoorsman, and himself a recovering alcoholic. Scott loves endurance sports, and I'm really excited to have him on the show today to talk to us about Phoenix Multisport and about recovering from addiction. Scott, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. So, Scott, tell us a little bit more about yourself. I hit a couple of bullet points there, but I would like for the listeners to know who you are and who Phoenix Multisport is. Uh, sure. So um, I'm the executive director and the founder of Phoenix Multisport. Um, but to to say that, you know, I have to kind of back up and, and talk about my story a little bit, which is I'm also a recovering uh, alcoholic and addict. Uh, so I've, I've been in recovery for a little bit over 18 years and found sobriety in Boston, Massachusetts, which is where I also started to kind of forge my love of, of athletics and endurance sports and, and mountaineering and climbing. So it says here in a little bio I have that you moved to Colorado. Was that in 2007 or is that just when you started Phoenix Multisport? Um, that's when I started Phoenix Multisport. I had been in Colorado for a few years prior to that. Um, and, you know, being in Colorado in a place that's such an active community, uh, it really helped the pieces come together for, for starting the nonprofit. Um, cause you just see people living this lifestyle of out climbing and out on their bikes and, you know, going up to Rocky Mountain National Park, um, in the winter and summer and, and it's just a really fertile ground to, to start a, a, a program like Phoenix Multisport. Um, you know, Phoenix Multisport uses, you know, the sort of intrinsic power of being in the mountains and, and being out climbing and, and kind of crossing that finish line in those endurance sports to help those who are struggling with substance abuse to heal from that. And, and we do it in community. It's all free. So we get together at our activities and the instructors are all peer professionals. So they're in recovery themselves and they usually instruct a sport that was really impactful in their own recovery journey, whether it's cycling or, you know, CrossFit or yoga or hiking or climbing. And, and, um, the people that show up at that event, all they need to have is 48 hours clean and sober and they're welcome to attend. There is a code of conduct that essentially says, Anything that isn't supportive of the group isn't welcome. 
But other than that, they just show up. We have the equipment, and we turn them on to those different sports. You know, I know that in my own life, um, adventure sports have been a real motivator for me to stay healthy and to try to stay strong. And I think sometimes we need something we love to uh, kind of establish a goal to give us, I, I guess, a, a kick in the seat of the pants in the right direction. Yeah, I, I agree. And, um, you know, I think that's part of my early journey. Um, you know, when I got in, first got into climbing, I think that I I knew – early on that I, that my drinking and drug use was really different than other people and was, um, concerned about it, uh, for many years, but, but really didn't know what else to do with my time or with my life other than those activities. And I was fortunate enough to find a brochure for an ice climbing, um, program up in the white mountains of New Hampshire. And, it was just the craziest thing I'd ever seen. There was this ice climb and this climber hanging off of it. And it said, learn to ice climb. <laughs> so I, I took a class and I went up there with a guide and, um, you know, kind of to, to, to be at the cliff and to be, you know, in the pine trees of new England and the snow falling and, you know, softly and just the quiet of the outdoors, um, was the first time in many years that I was, sort of outside of all the noise that was going on inside of my head at the time. And, um, you know, I think just being there and seeing uh, uh, that guide, the, how he effortlessly climbed up this terrain, this really difficult terrain, um, and then how I struggled behind him, you know, kind of sweating and grunting my way up the climb um, was really kind of reflected how how my life was and my addiction. It was just just a struggle. Every day was a struggle. And I thought to myself, maybe someday I'll be able to climb like him. And that's when I first started to believe that I could maybe change my path. Wow. That's a beautiful story, man. You know, since then you have climbed high peaks in the Himalayas, the Andes and up in Alaska, you've completed several 24 hour mountain bike, solo races, competed in seven different Ironman triathlons. So it sounds like uh, it changed your life. It, it really did. It, it was, um, you know, I think that uh, for many of us, you know, I don't think it's just the experience of people who struggle. I like to use the term substance use disorder as opposed to uh, a drug abuser. It's just, you know, it's it's really a um, there's a spectrum. Some people have a really severe substance use disorder. Some people have more moderate one. But um, for me, it was more severe. And I I think that for for all humans, we have this little, this little self-esteem piece that is like, you know, are we worthwhile or where's our place in this world? And are we of value? And, and I think that, that being in the mountains and goal setting, you know, I'm going to climb this, or I'm going to climb this peak, or I'm going to climb this grade of rock climb or ice climb. Um, and then achieving that goal, it just, lights this little self-esteem ember that kind of starts to smolder. And and for those in recovery, it's just really powerful. You know, I see here that Phoenix Multisport also works a lot with military veterans. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, we, we had been in existence for several years up in Boulder where we started, and veterans started finding us on their own. They just started showing up at our events and 
you know, it was fairly obvious right away because they would, you know, they'd get there 15 minutes early. They'd say, you know, what do you want me to carry in my pack? Where should we set up the tents? What do you need help with? <laughs> um, you know, you want me to sweep in the back and, and, you know, whatever it is, it's like they were just on point. And um, so we started to to hire vets that would do specific outreach to military installations and Fort Carson, Buckley Air Force Base and the VA, anywhere we could go and do outreach and, and tell them more about Phoenix programs because our programs are free and people just need to have 48 hours clean and sober before they come. It was a great opportunity for these returning soldiers. So, you know, even guys that were still active service members, um, could come to Phoenix in a place where there's no stigma. They could show up and, and be challenged by these different sports and activities that we do. And, and, you know, I think when, when you and I, if we went out and hiked up a mountain together, we would build a bond. And in that bond would be the trust where I would start to be able to open up about my story and you could do the same. And I think for, for our service members that come to Phoenix, um, you know, the workout or the, the mountain that we're hiking up um, is a way that they can build the trust to start to open up about their own stories. Mm, that is really neat. You know, I'm thinking about all the different sports that you guys do. Have you found any sport that seems to be better than another sport for someone? Um, I would say that uh, climbing is the quickest to shed the armor <laughs> because, um, you know, it's like we come in and we have all these, these sort of, uh, you know, this way we're supposed to interact socially and these fears about who we are as a person. And, and you tie into the rope and the closer you get to the wall or the cliff, you know, then the more real it gets. And, and as soon as you start moving up the thing, you've left the ground, you're in the vertical world you know, all your problems at, at home or other things in your life or what your addiction maybe did to your, your life kind of fade away and you're just there focusing on that handhold and that foothold because if you're not, you'll, you're going to come off the wall. <laughs> so, um, and then when you get to the top, the, the, the feeling you get when you overcome that challenging climb, it just is, it's just instant. And I think that's why climbing has always been one of our, um, most popular programs. You know, that's a lot of fun. I used to teach inner city kids uh, sport rappelling, and we didn't do the climbing part as much as we did the rappelling. But I tell you what, it, people sure do shed the facade and get real when they have to step off of a 100-foot cliff. Yeah, yeah. Gravity seems to be <laughs> be pretty effective in getting people focused. But that, you know, that could sound a little bit too scary for some people. So I'm sure you have other sports that are a little less aggressive. Um, what other opportunities are out there with Phoenix Multisport? Yeah, and that's that's the one thing we, you know, that I sort of insisted on from the beginning is that it was that all the activities should be obtainable for everyone. And so we try to scale things in such a way that, you know, the beauty of the climbing gym is you and I can tie into a rope and you know, you could climb a beginner grade climb and I could climb a more advanced one, or we could be in the gym, you know, doing a CrossFit workout together and your, your weight could be heavier and mine could be lighter, but we're still in there sweating together. So we, we try to make sure that every activity, um, is, is accessible. Um, and then we also have things like yoga and, uh, social events. We do 
you know, hikes um, and, you know, everything from just in our programs in California do socials on the beach and, and uh, you know, they also do surfing. So we have a little bit of something for everyone. And I think that's important because, you know, I'm sure, um, you know, the folks listening here also know that, that it's like a menu, right? You know, the same activities don't sort of speak to everyone in the same way. Some people might li- love the solitude of being on the bike riding up a canyon in, in Colorado somewhere. And some people might like to stand on top of a 14er, um, you know, and watch the sun setting, setting on the peaks. So there's a little bit of everything at Phoenix as well. You know, I, I was amazed when I saw some of your numbers here. Um, it says your free programs have reached over 17,000 individuals. That's, that's a good number of people. Yeah, it it is. And it's, um, what I love about it also is that, that, that we don't just take people climbing at Phoenix. We help teach them to be climbers or cyclists or triathletes. And, and so as you take on that identity and become a student of that sport, um, it heals, it heals that shame piece and that self-esteem piece because there was a time I only thought of myself as an addict and alcoholic. And now I know that I'm a mountaineer and a triathlete and a mountain biker. And more importantly, I'm a good friend and a, and a good brother and a good son and a good coworker. And, and uh, through that whole process, it helps me heal. And I think that's the experience of many of our participants. Yeah, that is really, really inspirational. You know, the Adventure Sports Podcast reaches out to over 200 countries now. And your program is coast to coast in the United States. Um, do you know of other programs like this in other countries around the world? Um, I do. I do hear from some groups that are starting um, programs like Phoenix in different locations. I know there's a couple folks up in Canada. Um, there's some some folks in Utah, and um, you know it's 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 slowly emerging as as a really powerful way to look at addressing, you know, people healing from substance use disorder. And, and, uh, you know, we've had people reach out to us from, you know, South Africa and Australia and New Zealand. And, and, you know, we're trying to figure out how to be, you know, helpful and, and kind of nurturing along whatever they're working on in those countries. Because, you know, I think for, for such a complicated thing as substance abuse, trying to sort of treat it just with front end treatment, you know, 30 day treatment, then you're out. Um, it's, I, I don't think it's as effective as if, as, as it would be as if you could couple it with this real lifestyle change. And, and I think a lot of people who are listening probably have experienced this, how much, you know, getting on the bike or putting on the harness or whatever it is that they like to do is, has helped change their life. And, and I think that's the same for folks in recovery. And, and, and the other thing is that at those activities, they're meeting 10, 20, 30, 40 other people that are also walking that path. And, you know, it's just such a cool thing to see people come to Phoenix, meet their new cycling or climbing partner, and then they're out on the weekend just riding and climbing. They don't really need us anymore. And they've really taken on that identity as that athlete. You know, you mentioned identity, and I'm no psychologist, but I have to mention something that I've been thinking about a lot recently, and that is naming. You know, we're given our names by our parents, but then we are renamed by our parents every time 
they tell us what we are. And parents do that, and then our teachers at school do that, and then our bosses at work do that, and our friends do that. And over time, we develop this persona. It's a, it's a different name, perhaps, than would be positive for us. And what you're talking about is finding a new name, a new identity. Like you said, I'm a mountain climber. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And I, and I think that I, I, I say this a lot, but I, I really do believe this. I think that sometimes we have to go to the top of a mountain to see something in ourselves that we can't see from down here. And, and the way we self reflect through that struggle, you know, when you're tired and you don't think you can take another step up the hill, but you do, or when you can't turn the pedal over on the bike one more time, but you do, um, you know, you start to see yourself in a new light and you can shed some of that, that old identity that, that may have been sort of holding us back or, or, um, kind of clouding how we viewed ourselves. You know, I really believe that the only people that have the right to name us are ourselves, right? Yeah. And as we get encouragement and we begin to adopt that new name, I, I don't know, maybe I'm going too much into the psychology of it, but I really like that concept a lot that everybody gets a new beginning and a fresh start and they can find new things that become a part of their identity that are really positive and encouraging. It's just a beautiful thing you're doing there, Scott. Yeah, well, thank you. And and I do. I totally agree with you. I mean, I think that we're we're all born, you know, all humans are kind of born, you know, these innocent little babies, right? And the world starts imprinting on us. And some things are positive and some things aren't. And, you know, if there's early childhood traumas or there are co-occurring mental health stuff or there's genetic precursor for, for substance use disorder, then then it imprints on us in a slightly different way. And and I think we have these pivotal moments in our life where we have a chance to shed that and, you know, to rename ourselves, as you said, and and as as who we are. And and I think it's beautiful to find those 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 places and they're they're so often on the on the race course of a triathlon or a mountain bike race or or your first you know, even walking your first five K. It's it it doesn't have to be an extreme sport. I love it. For 20 years, Bent Gate Mountaineering has been outfitting climbers, skiers, backpackers, and outdoor enthusiasts with the gear they need. Whether climbing an 8,000-meter peak or buying your first backcountry ski setup, Bent Gate is here to help. Bentgate is continuing to offer free BC 101 sessions this winter, teaching backcountry ski boot and binding setup, avi safety and beacon practice, clothing systems, and tips and tricks to make your days more enjoyable. If you don't own the gear, Bentgate offers a full range of rental and demo equipment. Bentgate also has free demo ski days at local resorts to give you a chance for hands-on experience. Be sure to check Bentgate.com for our full product selection as well as updates on all these events. So let's dive a little bit more into your story. Um, tell us about climbing in the Himalayas. 
and maybe a little bit how you got from that first ice climb, you know, back in, you said New Hampshire, right? Yeah. All the way to Nepal. Yeah. Well, I started, I started climbing on a regular basis up in the White Mountains. And I actually really appreciate that because if you haven't climbed in the winter in the White Mountains, then you should try it, but make sure you're prepared because <laughs> um, the the weather can be pretty severe. And so I didn't really know it at the time, but I was kind of building this skill set of, of um, being able to climb in, in pretty severe cold conditions and the ice climbing up there is really great and and um kind of honed my craft as an ice climber and um every time i went out i kind of said you know i want to test myself on something you know a little more challenging um not that the climbs weren't hard but as far as just the endurance piece i was always fascinated with how you could push through um and and achieve things that you never thought imaginable prior to and so, um, you know, I had this opportunity. I actually had planned a trip to to um, South America, and we were going to go to Ecuador, but a volcano down there started erupting, and so they closed the airport. And I had all this climbing gear, and my buddy and I were ready to go. And um, we had together pitched in and hired a guide to help us, you know, learn the sport. And so we said, why don't we go to the Himalaya? <laughs> and we went over there. It was kind of a change of plans last minute. And we landed on the on the tarmac in Kathmandu, and it was just it was I had traveled a lot prior to that, but that was the first time I had been somewhere foreign. Like it just was this almost magical land, and the people are incredible, and the mountains are so massive. I mean, I remember seeing we went to climb a mountain there called Island Peak, and it was about twenty thousand feet, and I remember seeing it look so small next to the giants like Lhotse and Everest and all these other Himalayan monsters, you know, and, uh, but being there and being in the snow and in the high mountains and the thin air, it was, there's something about it that's spiritual and to go to a place that you can, you can only go on your feet, you know, that you can't really fly up there. You can't, um, there's no other way to get there, but, but on your boots and your crampons, and to step out of your tent and see, you know, a day when it's undercast and the clouds are below you mm. and you're just looking out over these Himalayan peaks, um, there's no way to come back from that trip and not be a changed person. Um, and that, that's what happened to me, certainly. So from the top of Island, don't you have a view of Everest? Well, I really don't know because we never got up there. <laughs> <laughs> we... Um, this was this was one of three different Himalayan expeditions I've now been on. And the first one was, you know, we learned a lot. We got to the base camp and, you know, we had some altitude stuff and, you know, stomach stuff, which happens over there. And uh, so I thought I have to go back and um, went back again and, and climbed Lobache Peak, which is in the same area and looks right across the valley at Everest and, and Lhotse and uh, Pomori is right there. And, um, so that was an incredible experience and that was, we summited there and then I went back again and tried my hand at 8,000 meter peak and tried to climb Cho Yu from the Tibetan side. And, uh, that was incredible. We got sort of weathered off the jet stream lowered onto the summit and this, the mm -hmm. weather was, was bad. We had to come down, but, um, 
but it was it was amazing to be up in that thin air. We got up to about twenty four thousand feet on that one. Wow, that's up there. So you got higher than McKinley anyway. Yes, yes. <laughs> that's that is so cool. So you know, we always ask the question, tell us a story about a time that things didn't go right. But I think that with your perspective this could be even more meaningful in that you can use an experience when you discover something about yourself when things don't go as planned that applies to the rest of life and could be a real encouragement for people that have hurdles to overcome. So share that with us. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think that uh, anybody who, who spends time in, in mountains or endurance sports can tap into an experience where things didn't go right because that does happen. <laughs> and um and I think that, um, you know, in my journey, what I realized and I, and, and I'll use triathlon for this because it was, it was a really pivotal moment for me, but I started racing and, and I did a, you know, a sprint triathlon and then a, a half Ironman and, and kept trying to do half Ironmans faster. And then I did Ironman and then I thought I want to do Ironman faster. And I kept, you know, thinking, well, maybe I could qualify for the world championships in Hawaii. And I started training in earnest, um, you know, really focused on it. And I saw my friend on the course and it was her first Ironman. And this was my fifth, I think, at the time. And, and I looked at my watch and I was really disappointed in myself that I wasn't going to qualify for Hawaii. I just knew it by how fast my marathon was going. And, and I was finishing the race and she was just starting the marathon. So I had completed the whole Ironman and was going to the finish line as she was coming off of the bike. Mm -hmm. So she still had to run 26.2 miles <laughs> and I was disappointed and she was like full of joy and we stopped for a minute to hug and she said, I'm going to be an Ironman. No matter what, I'm going to finish this marathon and I'm going to be an Ironman. And it would be six hours later that she would cross the finish line. But, but here I was looking at my watch, wanting to qualify for the world championship, but yet disappointed in myself, even though I was finishing six hours before her. And, and I realized I kind of lost my way. And it became, I became so sort of lost on the goal setting and the objectives and the harder, faster, better that I forgot how much I loved just being out there. And it changed the way I did adventuring after that. And I realized that what I really love about those sports is the time that I share with the people that I share it with. You know, it's my climbing partner. It's the, my training partners. It's the solitude on the days when I'm alone and I'm out there and you're doing that extra 50 miles on the bike or, you know, it's unzipping your tent and getting out in the morning to the crisp air on, on the snow and whatever mountain you're camped out on. And, and I, I, there was a freedom in that, you know, I stopped kind of judging myself for, for my performance. It was kind of that old behavior, the earlier behavior that, that was in my addiction. And I got to let go of that and just enjoy the journey and realize that the path is the goal, not necessarily the summit. The path is the goal, not necessarily the summit. Yeah. That's, that's a really good thought. I like that a lot. Wow. So what about projects and events? Phoenix Multisport does a lot of stuff. I bet you have some stuff you'd like to let people know about. Yeah. I mean, I think, 
you know, it's, it's, we in Colorado and Southern California and, and in Boston, we have, I would say between all of them, we have close to 75 to 80 events a week. And all of those events are free to anybody who's 48 hours clean and sober. Um, so, you know, it's a great thing if somebody, you know, wants to come and check it out and, and, and the message and the mission of Phoenix speaks to them, they can do that. Um, you know, I think that, uh, some of our most meaningful trips that we do, and one of my favorites is that every spring we go to Moab, Utah, and we bring people from all of our different chapters and, and we converge on Moab and we take over this big group campsite. And last year we had 120 people come, people from California, Boston, and Colorado. And we camp on the Colorado River. We hike in the national park. We rock climb on, you know, that beautiful sandstone and, and, uh, trail run and, you know, campfires where people express gratitude for the life they have in recovery. And, you know, it's just an incredible trip. So I think that, um, you know, as far as special events, our Moab trip, I think is, is really a special place. What time of the year do you do that again? Uh, we'll do that in the spring. So, you know, we'll have it up on our calendar here soon. And what I think is really great about that trip, as I said earlier, that you only have to be 48 hours clean and sober before you come to Phoenix. And we pick that number so that if people were struggling with substance abuse, they could just get two days clean and come be around this supportive community where people really believe in them until they believe in themselves. And, and, so inevitably before Moab, somebody always scoops up somebody who's only got a couple days sober and drags them to the desert <laughs> and, and they wake up in that place, you know, with those 600 foot sandstone walls around them and the Colorado winding around our campsite. And, and that helps them frame what recovery can be. And, and, uh, it's a pretty special thing. Oh, I love it. What about tips or tricks for these sports? Um, well, I think, you know, I think that, uh, so one thing I will say is when I did get sober, I was definitely searching for, um, some identity, you know, and, and in that search, I kind of found all these amazing sports, you know, I, I've, I've done boxing, I've done jujitsu. So some of the combative sports I've done, you know, endurance cycling and mountain biking and triathlon and climbing and, um, you know, CrossFit and Olympic weightlifting and all sorts of different things. And I think what, um, what I've learned from all of those, uh, first of all, is that, you know, some, if you take a fraction of the time, say, you know, one fifth of the time that you spend do, doing those sports and apply it to self care. So we stay healthy um, you know, mobility and foam rolling and myofascial release and massage and all the things we need to do to keep our bodies healthy as athletes so we can keep doing those activities. Um, but, but also I think it would kind of go back to the story from earlier is just, um, don't take it so seriously, you know, like just, just enjoy it. Cause what do you realize sometimes if when you're head down and you're like, you know, hammering up the hill on your bike or up the mountain, you know, on your crampons, um, you're going to miss the view sometimes. So, uh, I would just say, you know, take a minute to look around and appreciate where you are because 
it's it's an incredible thing that we get to experience uh, in those different sports. You know, I see in your bio here that you have a ton of outdoor certifications. I've talked to other people about what it takes to get certified to be a guide or a coach for a lot of these sports. And uh, I guess that kind of leads me into the question, if people are inspired to be a part of your program to try to to maybe become some sort of a guide or in, an instructor, um, what would your recommendation be? Well, I think there's there's kind of two two parts to that answer. One is that if people are already certified coaches and instructors and sort of subject matter experts in those different sports, you know, they, there's opportunities if they're nearby us to, to volunteer. Um, and if they're not nearby us, there's opportunities for them to think about how to use that sport they love to help somebody who could use a hand up. Um, so think about other organizations in your community. I've seen people, you know, bringing CrossFit into, into, into homeless shelters. I've seen people, you know, as you mentioned, kind of getting kids out climbing and, you know, uh, inner city kids that may have never have access to the mountains. So if you already have those, those expertise, I encourage you to, to engage in your community to try to help lift other folks up. And, and if you're interested in learning about that stuff and you can access Phoenix, we have sort of a volunteer instructor um, path where if people are showing up and they're dedicated to helping and they're falling in love with those sports, well, sometimes we'll help them get certifications in those different disciplines. And in return, they, they volunteer and help us add programs that allows us to then reach more people. Um, so you go from the student to the teacher and, and even in that there's, there's this, this powerful transformation that, you know, when you're, you know, being guided outside climbing or you become the guide, um, it's, it's another part of that healing process. You know, you mentioned that you, uh, you said that between the three different chapters, you probably had more than 70 events a week. How many events would you expect in one chapter? If someone wanted to really plug in and do all they could, I bet they'd stay pretty busy. Yeah, and I think that's where uh, one thing of my history of all those crazy endurance sports is that you know we we do help our folks try to find balance because <laughs> <laughs> you know you can have some some guys that show up at the, like six or eight events a week, and you're like, hey man, let's talk about rest days. And when you actually get stronger, it's not it's not when you're breaking your body down; it's when you give it the time to heal and build up again. And um, but yeah, people can plug into a lot of events, and 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 what I see is there's sort of two different groups that kind of come to Phoenix. There's there's folks that may come to four or five things a week and for years and just be really, you know, um, an important part of the everyday programming at Phoenix. And then I see people that come learn the skills to go climb together and then they're off, off and climbing. They're planning climbing trips. They're going to Yosemite. They're, they're doing their own thing. Um, but it's really beautiful to see, you know, I always kind of joke that Facebook is my outcome study because I kind of like look at it Sunday nights and I see what people climbed or skied or hike or what yoga they were doing or what activity they were up to that weekend. And I know that the first time they put on that harness was at a Phoenix event or the first time they threw a leg over a bike was was on one of our rides. So it's a really cool thing to see. Yeah, that is neat. You know, that feeds right into the next question I was going to ask. What gets you out of bed in the morning? What inspires you? Maybe you just answered that. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think I think it is that. It's it's there is 
a, a sort of selfish is not necessarily a bad word. You know, there's sort of a selfish piece to being of service because it makes me feel valued and part of, you know, there's, I remember the, 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 the men and women that kind of took their time early in my recovery to teach me, you know, how to light a stove in the winter and how to melt snow for water on a mountain and, and how to dry your stuff in your sleeping bag at night, you know, and all those little tips that we learn in these different sports. And, and I'm so appreciative to them because in, in a way they helped start Phoenix Multisport. And without them, we wouldn't have reached those 17,000 people. And, you know, so I just think that, that, that to, to help mentor somebody in a way that you're, that you're really equals, but you're just sharing the path together, um, is just something really special. So that gets me up, up every morning. I love it. You told us what Phoenix Multisport does. You told us why it does it and and even some of the how, but I would love to hear the Phoenix Multisport story. It's it's about 8 years old now and obviously it's grown quickly and you've helped a lot of people. What was it like when you started and what's the story of Phoenix itself? Yeah, well it's it's a it's kind of an interesting path cuz I, you know, I think like a lot of us out there in the world, you know, we kind of have these unique career paths and different things we've done in our lives. And, and what I, what I realized was that, you know, I kind of worked in experiential ed, um, with at risk youth, even during my addiction. And, and, uh, that gave me the foundation of kind of understanding the power of nature and the outdoors and how it can help people heal. But I was still active. And, and when I got clean and sober, you know, I dove into that stuff full force. And so I, you know, kind of began to heal myself as I climbed and, and hiked and biked and whatever else I was doing. And uh, then I, I kind of had that pivotal moment at Ironman and I, I realized, like, I just want to do this with other people. Like, I really want to share the journey with people. And and that's sort of where the idea of Phoenix came from is like, you know, let's let's get people out here together and share our love and passion for these activities. And, you know, I had a climbing partner in Boston and a bunch of us went up to, to Canada and climbed on New Year's and, uh, and New Year's kind of came and went and I didn't even think about drinking, which was really unusual for somebody who's in recovery. And, and I realized it was because I was so focused on the, like the fun and the joy that we found in that activity together being up there climbing, there were a half dozen of us, um, you know, that, that I wanted to share it with others. And then kind of returning to Colorado, my climbing partner here, uh, Ben, he, he was in recovery too. So he and I would go out and celebrate, kind of celebrate our recovery at the cliff. You know, we, it wasn't a formal thing, but it was just happening naturally um, as we, you know, snowshoed up into Rocky Mountain National Park to go climb or whatever it was. And uh, so it just made sense. After a while, I thought, you know, we got to get this thing going because there's too many people out there that are, that are struggling, trying to figure out how to connect what their life could be like in recovery. They lose that old identity of the addict alcoholic, which is a negative identity, but identity nonetheless. And, and I just know that if we can get them out in the, in the outdoors, they're going to have the same experience. So that's how Phoenix started. And, a big part of it, if you go to the website, you'll see that people are wearing Phoenix shirts. They're wearing Phoenix cycling uniforms. 
And part of that is letting go of the shame, you know, kind of being proud about who we are in recovery. And if we are proud of that and we're out there, then we're making space for other people to ask for help. So if you guys are out there adventuring and you see a Phoenix multi-sport patch or our logo on something, just make sure you give them a pat on the back of encouragement and, and, uh, and you know, it's, it's a powerful thing to, to wear that. Cause a lot of folks, you know, kind of, there's a shame piece, you know, oh, who, who was I in my disease? What did I do to my loved ones? And in the healing, we have to start to let go of that shame or we'll, we'll never really recover. Mm. Slow Boat to the Bahamas is a funny look at getting the sailing bug, preparing for, and going on the big trip with a four-year-old and a four-pound dog. Linus Wilson recounts how his family sailed from New Orleans to the Bahamas in 2015. In its first week, Slow Boat to the Bahamas Kindle version was the number one bestseller in all three of its categories, sailing narratives, Bahamas, and cruises. And as you can tell from the podcast we had with Linus, this book's gotta be a hoot. Pick up your copy today. The 180 Flame is the ideal alternative to bulky and fragile gas-burning camp stoves. The 180 Flame utilizes fewer parts with minimal weight and maximized reliability. The locking tab and slot design means there are no hinges, welds, or rivets to fail you in the field. Cook your food and boil water quickly using only small amounts of natural fuels including twigs, grass, pine cones, and leaves. Weighing just 6.4 ounces, the 180 Flame is the ideal alternative to a backpacking stove. You can find your new flame at 180tac.com or a retailer near you. 180 Flame. Think big, pack small. So over the last eight years, the organization has grown tons, and it's because of what you're talking about right here. It's it's people getting real help. Has it been primarily word of mouth? You think that has gotten the message out? Yeah, I think I think it has, and and I think that um, you know over time we've we've been fortunate to kind of get some really great uh, you know media stuff. I know I was a CNN hero in 2012 and there's a lot of content out there on the web. If people just Google Phoenix multi-sport, a lot of great videos and, and even our team members produce content and put it up there. And um, it's just, it's cool to see people just being, it's like they've already gotten over that piece of saying that they're in recovery. They just, they're more, it's more about the bike ride or the hike or the climb you know, when you come to a Phoenix event, you would think that we would talk about our addiction, but that rarely happens. There's always a space for it if people need some support that day. But but really, we're talking about, you know, hey, what do you do when you're climbing a hill and your calves cramp up? And, you know, what do you do about your cycling cleat? Maybe it's something wrong with that. And, you know, we get into all the minutia of the sport, just like any athlete does. And, and um, you know, that encouragement for each other to keep us pushing through the activity. Very cool. 
So if someone wants to get more information about the organization, I mean, they can go to phoenixmultisport.org, but what other ways can they get in touch with the people at Phoenix? Yeah, they. I mean, go to the website, and a lot of the staff emails are on there on, under the staff section. Uh, info at phoenixmultisport.org. They can email, um, and they're welcome to call our chapters. And you know, we're just like any other outdoor enthusiast. You know, if they're if they're uh, interested in climbing beta. You know, for Boulder Canyon, they can call our climbing guys. And, and if they're interested in learning about surfing, they can call our surf instructor. And, you know, we just love these sports and, and love sharing them with people. And, um, you know, I think most importantly, if they know someone who Phoenix can help, um, send them our way. And, um, you know, if there's somebody out there listening who is in the middle of their their drug or alcohol addiction um, just know that, that you can beat it and that, that, uh, get out there and get plugged in with people that are like-minded and they want to get out in the mountains or they want to do something awesome on the bike or hike or whatever it is and, and, uh, start sweating and, and put together one day at a time. And I think, I think that you can do it. Neat. Now I always frame this question that there's a rich uncle that, gave you an all expense paid adventure but if money were no object and you had a month to go do something with the phoenix people what would you be doing i've I've always had a dream of uh doing an expedition with phoenix team members you know taking some folks that that would have to be scholarship to go that that would never be able to even imagine you know climbing a peak in the andes or, or or you know, going up on, on the flanks of Denali or, you know, going to the Himalaya and, and um, take a group there, climb a mountain to celebrate this amazing life we have in recovery and, and, and then do outreach in that community and start, start a program there in whatever community it is, you know, whether it's La Paz, Bolivia or in Kathmandu that would help people in that community find a Phoenix experience. Because when you travel to some of these countries, these climbing destinations that I went to in my mountaineering days, um, you know, you realize there's almost no resources there. And for really a modest amount of money, uh, a group like Phoenix could go over there and help them set up some pretty powerful resources to help folks in that country that are dealing with substance abuse issues. Um, so, you know, this, this incredible climbing expedition coupled with community outreach in the area where we go would be my dream. That is a great dream. And maybe one of our listeners out there is that rich uncle. So, Hey man, if you want to do some good, (laughs) this sounds like we've got a cause for you. Yeah. Yeah. That would be be incredible. You can come along. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be great. Well, let's say that someone has a loved one that is struggling with some sort of uh, a substance abuse issue. What are your recommendations to try to encourage them on their journey and maybe guide them to programs like yours? You know, I think <clears throat> I think it's it's a hard thing when it's your loved one because, you know, at, at Phoenix, I love everyone that comes to Phoenix, but but, you know, I'm not as sort of enmeshed in the relationship as as it would be if it was somebody in my immediate family. So I know I recognize the challenge and I'm sure there's some folks listening that, that, um, 
at this point may have little sympathy for the for the person who's struggling and may really just feel kind of the pain that has emanated from their from dealing with this loved one who's struggling with addiction um but i think that just just know that it's the we all have a struggle as humans and and for some people it it manifests as drug and alcohol use for other people it shows up in other ways and um i think if we just humanize each other we we can be more accepting and and empathetic and um as far as like hard tools that they could access um i would go to the there's the samsa website which is substance abuse mental health services administration and that's um samsa.gov and there's a list of resources and communities for those that are struggling with substance abuse um and you can also reach out to phoenix and i would do whatever i can to help plug plug your loved one into to get some help because i do think that front-end treatment and that detox is important um early on um but if somebody's already in a program getting help, uh, what they do when they get out of it matters. So um, if there isn't a Phoenix in your community, start reaching out to people who who do awesome stuff in the outdoors and in sports and see if they would get plugged in to help you to get something going. So once again, it's phoenixmultisport.org. And what about a phone number? Um, I will pull it up as we're sitting here. (laughs) Okay. And then, uh, you know, I, I, I think that, um, you know, just just checking out the website, there's a whole uh, group of videos on there that will kind of uh, tell more about the Phoenix multi-sport story. And um, so click through those if you can. If, if, if you know somebody and it's within their means to make a donation, we'd always accept donations at phoenixmultisport.org. And a phone number is our main office is here in Colorado. And that's seven two zero four four zero nine one seven five, and that's seven two zero four four zero nine one seven five, and give a ring over the office, and we'll see if we can help you out. You know, I want to throw out a special appeal to our listeners. Scott has shared from the heart, and it's clear that he's making a huge difference in a lot of people's lives, and. I'm asking you to help get the word out about Phoenix Multisport by sharing this with anyone and everyone you know. Um, Help to share this message that Scott shared with us today and uh, help make a difference in someone's life. So that's really cool. So, Scott, will you close this out now with an inspirational story? (laughs) I uh, – this is my favorite story, Um, but – we have a building in downtown Denver, Colorado, and it's it's right near a lot of the homeless shelters, kind of a rough neighborhood. And 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 I was leaving at night, and the staff hadn't gotten there yet to run the evening programs, but they were going to be there in five or ten minutes, you know. So I was just heading home from my work day, and and uh, this this young guy was walking up to the building. So I'll, so I'll fast forward a little bit. I'm in Moab, Utah. Um, like probably two years later and we're at our gratitude campfire after we went climbing and mountain biking and hiking and all this stuff all weekend long and people are sharing about what phoenix meant to them and i hear this guy speaking and he says when i was trying to get clean and stay clean i heard about phoenix and i had a few days clean and sober and i went over there to check it out 
And I said, if this doesn't work, I'm going to go get high. And I walked up to the front door and it was locked. And I said, that's it. I'm done. And now back to the original story, I'm sitting in my truck and this kid walks up, tries the door. And I thought, man, I'll go let him in and I'll sit with him for a couple minutes until the Phoenix staff gets here. And, and I open up, talk to him for five or 10 minutes and an instructor shows up and I go home. And I didn't realize that in that little moment, I got out to unlock the door and let him in there. I helped change the path he was on. So you just never know when you do something for somebody else what impact it could have. So I just encourage folks to take a minute and help somebody out if they can. Mm. No action too small. Exactly. Yeah. Scott, thank you so much for being on the show today and sharing with us what Phoenix Multisport is doing to help other people. I feel honored to have you on the show. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks. I'll see you guys out on the mountain somewhere. Absolutely. And for all of our listeners out there, as always, until our next show, get out there and have some fun. Take someone along with you. <laughs>